So we're going to come up here into the woodland, which um, is on the ridge between sort of Canterbury and the coast and Whitstable. Um, and it's lovely ancient woodland, so it's one of my favourite places to ride. Oh, it's brilliant. So we've got two bikes on lovely gravel paths underneath the oak trees. It's going to be a good ride. Yeah, it is. Hello. I'm Liv Bolton and welcome back to The Outdoor Fix, a podcast to inspire you to make adventures outdoors a bigger part of your life. It's been a while since the last series of The Outdoor Fix podcast, so thank you for your patience and for listening. I've been writing The Outdoor Fix book over the last few months, which I'm very excited to say will be out in the spring and published by Vertebrate Publishing. But in the last few weeks, I've absolutely loved getting outdoors and recording series seven of the podcast for you. I've been to the Peak District, the Kent countryside, the Chilterns and an open water swimming reservoir in London to chat to my five guests who all have really inspirational stories about how the outdoors has changed their lives for the better. They share lots of tips for how others can follow in their footsteps too. Before we get to my first guest though, I wanted to thank the outdoor footwear company Merrill for kindly supporting this series. Their backing makes this podcast possible and they always allow me the freedom to find the people and stories I think are important to showcase. Their support of community groups and grassroots initiatives in the outdoors are one of the things I like about working with them. And I also use their Moab Speed hiking shoes all the time. They're seriously comfortable and I honestly wouldn't be recommending them if I didn't love them. Merrill have kindly offered listeners of the Outdoors Fix a 20% off discount on their shoes at merrill.co.uk. So just use the code FIX20, which is valid on all full price items on their website. Anyway, back to the first story of Series 7. My guest in this episode is Vicky Balfour. Vicky's an avid mountain biker, bike mechanic, writer, special needs parent, and founder of Vicky Bikes her business offering bike mechanic and cycling sessions. Her mission is to enable people of all ages and backgrounds to find pockets of adventure within the boundaries of everyday life. So packing adventures outdoors around your daily routine. Vicky took me mountain biking in the Kent countryside for this episode and we recorded it in the middle of a wood. It turned out to be one of the most powerful and extraordinary stories I've ever heard during my years recording The Outdoors Fix. Don't miss Vicky's tips for mountain biking routes and getting outdoors at the end of the episode, as well as the minute of the sounds of nature for a little bit of escapism in your busy day. So let's get on with the episode and here's Vicky. Vicky, hello. Welcome to the Outdoors Fix podcast. Thank you so much for coming on it. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. We have just been on a great mountain bike ride in the Kent countryside. Can you just describe where we've been and, and whereabouts in Kent we are? Yeah, so we're in East Kent. Um, we're in an area called Bleen Woods, which is really ancient woodland, which basically runs between the coast. So people have probably heard of Whitstable and then Canterbury, the other side, which is where I live. And we've just literally done one of my favourite little loops coming up into the woods 
and just following New Road, which is an ancient road that goes through the woods. Oh, it's beautiful. I've also been completely out of breath. It's a good exercise <laughs> for the morning, honestly, yes, riding up those hills. But yeah. um, beautiful ancient woodland. We're, we're sort of right by an oak tree. We're sat on a bench with a beautiful wooden sculpture. Do you say it's a nightjar? A nightjar, yeah, which is a beautiful bird. It makes a lovely sound, as you'd expect in the early evening. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no, lovely. So how often are you cycling around these parts? Probably, I'd say, several times a week. It's sort of, yeah, and I, as it's sort of, if I'm going to somewhere, I try increasingly to not use my van, and so I'll cycle. So, for example, if I'm going to Faversham, which is a local market town, I will cycle through here nice. and then make my way through sort of little local roads and things and then back on to another cycle path. Um, or if I'm going over to Whitstable, I'll cycle through another bit of the woods and one of my best friends lives in a town called Herne Bay, so she and I often meet in the woods and then cycle together. So, oh, that's yeah, wonderful. it's very much part of my life, this woodland. So, just to give the audience a bit of a background about you, so, massive mountain biker. <laughs> yes. You are also a bike mechanic, yep. and you have your own business called Vicky Bikes. Yes. You do mechanic sessions and cycling sessions. Yes, that's it very busy life you're also an event mechanic um a, an event speaker and writer yeah. um so tell me about your you know your working week i mean it, it just sounds quite a lot of stuff going <laughs> yes. on can you can you talk me through what's the usual working week yeah so um and in fact the important bit that didn't get mentioned mm. there was my our daughter cece who's um who's got special needs so um so yeah so largely my working week gets condensed into time when she's at school or when um, I have I have carers for her two afternoons a week or a carer um, and she's 16 so, and she's 16 mm. so yeah so it is she's wonderful she's absolutely brilliant but as anyone who has somebody with disabilities in their life will know she's very full-on and very much um, when you're with her you have to be with her there's only a certain amount of not now <laughs> that you can say um, and her sort of understanding of time and things is different so I very much I it's an ongoing battle trying to remind myself that I literally only have 12 hours a week to do work because I also find for my own mental health I need to so I try to work three days a week um, and have two days that I can just come out and ride or get the jobs done at home without that pressure. It's it's a very it's a very fine balance, I find. And so you do mechanics courses as well for people? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so talk me through. So what would what would people learn on a mechanics course, just roughly? Yeah, so you learn everything from the real basics of a safety check for your bike, how to one of the things that people most struggle with actually is how to remove their rear wheel mm -hmm. from their bike. Because obviously it's held in place with the derailleur and the chain and the derailleur has got a massive spring in it and doesn't want to release anything so it's quite it, but there's a, a way you can do it very right. easily right the way through to learning to index your gears change your gear cable learning to service suspension forks so i i do a sort of a mixture of pre-planned courses that people can sign up to or bespoke one-to-one -one teaching um, and the courses I run at home in Kent in my workshop and I love I love creating an entire day so I'll put on the food and tailor the food to what people's needs are and it's just a real investment it's I like the idea that people are investing in themselves and also having as we yeah as we've talked about sort of my my concept of a pocket of adventure taking time away from your from your everyday life and investing in yourself and learning something and it's learning is so stimulating. It's 
I want to come on to sort of how you got to this position as well in a minute, but just a little bit more about your cycling sessions you do as well. Mm. You've got a variety of sort of, you know, you take people out cycling and, and tell me about that area. Yeah, so I'm running at the moment big bike revival sessions for Cycling UK, which is designed to get women in back on bikes. And um, it's interesting, when I first started it, because I'd previously last year run a thing called Resilient Riders, which was sort of a six-week course, and um, over the six weeks, people built their experience in different places and so on. So Cycling UK had the Big Bike Revival, and I applied for funding and was successful. And they said it's sort of people just come along for one session and get some back into cycling. And at the time, I must admit, I just thought, how can one session be enough to build somebody's confidence mm. and then yesterday I got the most fabulous email from a lady who had joined one of my courses recently or one of my sessions recently and she'd borrowed a bike because her bike wasn't wasn't sort of fit to ride she met another lady who she became friends with and the lady so Liz emailed me yesterday and said oh do you know what since our thing I've had my bike serviced and Pam and I have been out cycling and we go off now and do our things. And I was like, actually, do you know what? One session can sometimes be all it needs. Yeah, fantastic. um, So it seems a lot of your work is sort of empowering women to build their confidence with cycling and getting back on bikes. Why why do you think it's important that, um, you know, women sort of get back on bikes and try and build their confidence? Yeah, I think I think for me, to be honest, it could be any anything. It cycling happens to be the thing that I really love and I feel has built my confidence and I feel environmentally it's great. It just gets people out outside doing something, often having to overcome a fear. And I think the minute you start overcoming fears in your life, you suddenly realise actually, hang on, I was afraid of that. So if I've done this, maybe I could do that. And it's just, yeah, it just builds from there. And um, yeah, so one of the other things that Cece and I do is run a thing called Resilient Riders Canterbury, which is a regular, or slightly irregular, but mainly <laughs> mainly once a, once a month when we haven't got extreme weather, cycling group for people of all abilities and totally inclusive. We never really ride more than about 10 kilometers. Nobody gets left behind. We have a mixture of ages, and it's just a community cycling group and we tend to ride off-road and it's it's just for the joy of cycling um, and it's bliss it's lovely so I think the more we can get on bikes the more we can incorporate bikes into our lives for transport or for leisure it the better where did this love of cycling come from so where was it that you grew up and you were doing that cycling yeah so I grew up in a place called Limington on the south coast um, just on the the southern tip of the New Forest overlooking the Isle of Wight. Um, We were a sailing family and I was very lucky when I was, I think I was probably only about 11 or 12, my parents had very kindly given me a boat, a little wooden boat that was my own boat and I could sail. And um, I kept it at a place called Keyhaven where my parents kept their boat. And Keyhaven's probably about five miles from Lymington. And there's a fabulous dirt track, much like the one we've come along today. and I still find it funny now, but I was basically, I was allowed to just go off on my own and go sailing. So I would just cycle along this dirt track um, and yeah, go go to the sailing club, take my boat out sailing, come back and I'd have sort of a little hot chocolate in my cubby hole and things oh. that have that and then cycle home. And then I sort of, yeah, when I went to secondary school, I cycled to school and one summer my friend Rachel and I were bored. So we got a local street map of the town and a highlighter pen and literally over about three days 
cycled every single road in the town and highlighted it as we went. And I remember on that ride thinking, actually, do you know what? If I have food, I mean, obviously at that point, I wasn't clearly wasn't thinking about mechanics, but (laughs) if I have food, I can just cycle anywhere I want. I could just literally get on my bike and go. I don't need to, I don't need to get help. I don't need I can just go. And that was really that was intoxicating. A real sense of freedom. Yeah. Then. Yeah. yeah, totally. Absolutely. So when you then became an adult, you moved to London and you worked in city PR for a, for a long time. So yeah. was there much cycling going on in that part of your life? Only when there were tube strikes. Right. <laughs> sort of the way to get through London um no no there wasn't and I do I look back at that time and just think I don't know I wish I had the confidence and the independence then that I have now but you have to go through your life in the way it's meant to roll out and I didn't and I'd sort of gone to university in London I'd met my husband and he was based in London and I'd fallen into city PR and I knew I didn't like it but equally, I had no idea what on earth I was going to do instead. Um, we had a mortgage. We had to pay it. He was My husband was a junior doctor at that time, so I was the bigger earner. And we were just trapped in that cycle. And it was only when we had our son um, and I went part-time that I began to think, oh, maybe I could do something else. But actually, it wasn't until 12 years later when we were here um, and I'd been a stay-at-home mum for years by that point that I actually did manage because I knew I was never going to go back to city PR mm. it was not me at all so yeah okay so just going back a bit so you so you um you had your son and your daughter in London and then you over the years were stay-at-home mum and then you moved out to Kent can you just tell me about um that period and you know how, you, how the, the journey to getting back oh, into cycling God. it was hard it was yeah. so when Henry was born um he, he'd, it had been a difficult pregnancy. I'd had prenatal depression. He was born and, and he was failing to thrive. He was, he was very low weight. He was being sick very frequently. And every time I fed him, he would be more sick. And we then sort of sitting one day with sort of other friends and chatting going, do you know what? There seems to be a pattern. I breastfeed him or I have my food. I breastfeed him and then he's very sick. And we began to realise that maybe it was related to what I was eating. So I cut out dairy and he stopped being sick and he began to put on weight. So we we then started getting it investigated and we found out that basically he was anaphylactic allergy level to dairy, eggs, nuts and fish. And then he also had associated allergies to things like trees, grass, birds. Um, I'm a poor lad and his eczema was horrific. So... My vision of what parenting was going to be had completely gone out the window by this point um, because I thought we were going to have this really easy child who was really straightforward and so on and ate anything and just... We'd bought a boat, we were going to go sailing and it just... I realised that we just couldn't, couldn't do anything. And then his sister, I became pregnant with his sister and that was a really dreadful pregnancy but nothing at any point made us think actually do you know what maybe there's something's not going to be right with Cece so by the time she was born and I went to my GP for the six-week check and um, I got there and I was like she's not allergic it's fine it's great and the GP just looked at me and just went I'm really sorry it's not fine and I was just like what what do you mean and she was like well she took Cece's hand and 
if you curl your hand, you've got two lines in it. They're called palmar creases, and Cece has a single one, which is often a common sign that something's wrong. She had the... We all know that there's one fontanelle on a baby's head. There's actually a second one which closes before they're born, but for Cece, they were both wide open. Um, she had a, a sort of a, a bipolar forehead. So the GPs have said, look, there's enough here. We, we really need to get this investigated. And I just went into total denial. And I was just like, no, can't, can't even go there. And then eventually, I mean, our GP was amazing and the health visitor was amazing. And they kept a close on, eye on me because they knew that I had a history of, of depression and postnatal depression and things. And they kept a close eye. And eventually I was sort of like, OK, all right, yeah, something's not right. Um, but what I forgot to say was actually, <laughs> I tell you, I, you, my story is ridiculous. During Cece's pregnancy, I'd been made redundant. So yes, but the good thing, the only good thing after that was it meant that I then had a lump of money. So when she was then born and we had, we realised she was disabled, I actually didn't have to go back to work. Mm. That is, that was the best thing because very quickly we were under about 13 bits of NHS and um, my life was literally just taking Henry to nursery, taking Henry to allergy appointments and eczema appointments for his his sort of needs and then just taking Cece around all the hospitals in London while they tried to work out what on earth was going on um, and eventually they realised that she's got a unique spontaneous mutation um, and which is amazing. She's the only person in the world with her recorded mutation. So, yeah. Gosh, so those years must have been yes. incredibly, incredibly hard. They were unbelievably hard. Unbelievably hard. And I look back at them now and just think, how on earth did we get through it? Um, and then as we... It, so then when Cece was about four, so by this point, Henry had started school and clearly things weren't right with him. He had behaviour issues and... Um, we put them down largely to being sort of anaphylactic um, allergies because that meant that he couldn't eat the same as other children. He couldn't be with other children. Um, he couldn't even touch the same. He had one piece of gnocchi one time. He had a tiny bite of a piece of gnocchi at a friend's house and went into anaphylactic mm. shock and we had to call an ambulance. I mean, it was just Terrifying. ridiculous. Yeah. So there were EpiPens everywhere. And, um, and yeah, and it was and Cece obviously and so we we put his needs down to that but we suspected there was something else going on but it wasn't it took years it wasn't until by the time we'd come here to Kent and then when he was when he was 12 he broke his back and we I know it's, oh <laughs> tell you, I do rare children I really do rare children and it turned out that he had got a thing called fibrous dysplasia which normally comes in long bones and he'd got it in one of his vertebrae and basically the vertebrae had grown as mush rather than as as bone and so a really sporty child after a day of I think he had played squash played tennis played cricket and his back finally gave way so we took him for a scan and yeah they said oh that we'll be out in 15 minutes and two hours later he eventually was released from the MRI scanner and um yeah it turns out it's just this very very rare thing so that was when he was 12 and I think ironically I think that was that was our low, well, was the beginning of our lowest point um, but it actually was the beginning of the of the, the rebirth and it was around that time that I got into cycling on holiday I found something that I really loved and it it 
took me away from the family and just gave me that headspace, got me out in nature. Um, and I've since realized that, yeah, that, that in nature you've got the things called fractals, which are, are sort of their shapes and, and things, as I understand it, that are only found in nature mm. and are actually really good for us and make us feel better. And I completely understand that because all I have to do is come out here to this place and there's so many shades of green, there's so many shapes of leaves, there's the change of the seasons, there's, you catch a glimpse of a bird or whatever and it just takes you away from everything else that you're dealing with. Um, it's wonderful that you found that again because... Oh God, I'm so, yeah, I, I genuinely, I... I wouldn't, I wouldn't still be here. It had reached a point where I'd spent 12 years um, just basically enabling Al to become the brilliant cancer surgeon that he is. And he financially kept us going and kept us afloat. But I also sort of made sure that he had time to go and de-stress by playing tennis and so on. And we had great holidays, um, sort of activity holidays and they were lovely and I got a bit of respite then because Nielsen the company we went with gave us a one-to-one -one carer for Cece um, and interestingly Henry now at sort of 19 attributes those holidays as, the, as giving him the greatest confidence in terms of meeting people and so on um, and helped him learn because it turned out he was autistic they're both both autistic um, although you wouldn't because autism's wonderful, it's in so many different varieties and forms in people, and you just don't know. It's it's not a stereotypical Rain Man thing. And he said, actually, those holidays where every year or every even every week you got a chance to meet a new load of people, try out a whole new load of skills, communicating and socialising. And he, and now he's yeah off. Well, as I was saying earlier, he's sort of off to see somebody in Leeds who he met. Very, uh, abroad and then he's picking up a friend from Canada who he met abroad and so on and, and he's at university and he's at university mm. and it's just fantastic it's so brilliant but the hell we had yes. to go through so tell me then about you know you found nature and cycling mm. again so how did you turn that love of that that gave you a bit of escape from yeah. from you know the family life that was was very very difficult at the time how did you go from that to then setting up your business Vicky Bikes <laughs> yeah it's um so it literally so the getting into cycling happened at the same time as Henry moving to this school and suddenly I was no longer having the millions of phone calls I wasn't having to go and collect him every five minutes he actually went to school so I actually ha started to have some time in my week and Cece's always been very happy in her schooling she's loved her school it's amazing so I actually started having these these bits of space and I realized that I was bored I was really bored really lost and I needed to do something I couldn't I felt like a bit of a Stepford wife or whatever it was just I felt like literally all I did was cook for my family which I didn't particularly enjoy go to the supermarket which I found really dull go to cleaning do cleaning which I was rubbish at so I stopped doing that <laughs> it was just like, it's like right okay I am not on this earth just to facilitate the lives of everyone else in my household I need something for me so I'd found because the other thing was that so I've got some amazing friends who special need mums who are friends um, but we'd we'd been very alienated um, by the rest of society in terms of friendship groups and things we didn't really have friends it wasn't it didn't work and the amazing thing about special needs mums is they're there but they don't 
uh, well, you can't meet up because you've got your kids, you've got to look after them. So I was lonely. I was really lonely. I was really bored and I had time. So I thought, well, I've really enjoyed working on these bikes. And I thought, well, maybe I could learn more about mechanics. And my dad's always been sort of an engineer and things. And it, I, it was natural to, to work on, on things with tools. Um, so I went to my local bike shop and I just said to them, look, um, I've got this bike. I'm trying out some racing because I realised that, that there was a, a thing called Southern Enduro, a series of races who are, they're brilliant. They're run by a family and very, very welcoming, very safe, very enjoyable, great community. And I was like, right, I'm beginning to do some of these as a way of trying different places to ride. Um, if I tell people how good you are as a local bike shop, because they had a really good online presence as well, if I tell everyone how brilliant you are, will you give me some work experience in your workshop? And um, they were amazing. It's run by a husband and wife called Adam and Leslie. They're absolutely brilliant. And they said, well, look, we'll give you a bike. We'll work out how much it costs um, for full price, not trade, full price. And you can work that number of days to pay it off. And right. yeah, it was amazing. And, and they said, yeah, it can be a school length day and all that many hours. So school length day, whenever you want. And basically I, that was it. And I went in and I started and I loved it. I loved being out of the house. I loved having a community of friends and an identity. And yeah, it was really magical. And um, yeah, so that was brilliant. Then I went on and trained while I was there. When that when that sort of period of time came to an end, I um, I trained as a mechanic. And one of my managers at Bike Tart had um, he'd be he came from Northern Ireland with his wife when she came over to do teacher training here, and they'd gone back to Northern Ireland, and he'd gone back to work for Chain Reaction. Um, and Chain Reaction Cycles were looking for a French-speaking mechanic. And my friend Matt said, well, Vicky speaks French and she's a mechanic. Um, and they put me forward and that was it. And that was the start. That was back in, I think, 2018. So I started doing more and more events with them. Unfortunately, my mental health got really bad around 2018, 2019. So eventually I left Bike Tart because I just needed to stop. I needed to get myself well again. Um, I was in a really, really bad place. Um, got myself well and I was doing a regular sort of five events a year or whatever for Chain Reaction. Mixture of events in America, France, ones in the UK. And every time I did an event, I enjoyed explaining about it. So I started volunteering at a local um, bike project and teaching. And then lockdown came along and I realised as I always do, that I managed to fill my time up completely doing all these other things and wasn't actually doing what I wanted to do, as in working for myself. And so I just sort of used the lockdown as an excuse to set up Vicky Bikes. And Vicky Bikes was my Instagram handle. <laughs> it's as original as that. And it was just people knew me as Vicky Bikes. So I just sort of, yeah, I, in, locked, in the first lockdown, I just offered some online teaching. And it went from there and it was great and yeah so it was really good and I taught on Zoom and then obviously built it up. It's brilliant and then about 18 months ago I had a friend who worked at Immediate Publishing and they who publish MB UK, Might and Biking UK and Bike Radar um, and they were looking to make their pool of writers more diverse and they wanted a tech writer so I just said yes. <laughs> 
had no idea if I was going to be able to do it or not. But actually now, I look back the other day at my folder of pieces and I've written loads and I, it, I love it. Yeah. That's brilliant that you've been able to forge this thing that's for yourself and that has yes. given you, you know, something that excites you and yeah. takes away that boredom. Yes. I mean, the difference, you know, what, what do you think that bike mechanics and cycling has brought to your life, do you think? Oh, purpose, depth, escape. I mean, I call my courses Mindful Mechanics because they're mindful on so many levels, but at the most basic, when you're focusing on fixing something on a bike, you can't think about anything else. It's like meditation. It is purely, and you can't rush it. You can't, you just have to embrace the process, take the time, enjoy it. And it's like, a, it's like an adult version of a jigsaw puzzle, mm. puzzle probably, or, a, or one of those blocks things where kids put shapes in things. It's very, very satisfying. It can be frustrating. And that's where the second part of Mindful Mechanics comes in, that it's basically you, you step away when, um, when, when it is getting like that. And you just walk away and cool down and calm down. And that's great. So, yeah, I think it, it has given me purpose. It's given me an identity. It's given me something that helps other people as well. That's, that is what I love, is that it, it helps other people get out, get all the benefits of cycling, meet people, it's, um, and overcome their fears. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about some of. So obviously, you do a lot of mountain bike racing, as yeah. well. Um, so some of the races that you've done around the UK, or you've even done some abroad, haven't you? Yeah. So funnily enough, I'm doing as the work has built up. I've done less and less racing, and obviously COVID. But yes, I raced at well, Mega Avalanche is one of my favourite events, and I've raced that. So that's in the Alps. Alpe d'Huez and you go resort and you go from the top of Pic Blanc Glacier which is 3,300 metres up and you basically you ride or attempt to ride down the glacier and you go right the way down to the valley floor I think it's something like 2,400 metres of descent or something and it's unbelievable so my objective was was partly just to see what I could achieve but it was also to ride different places and to make friends and I still think those are the best objectives. So like tomorrow, actually, I've, I've managed to pick up a ticket and I'm off tomorrow to Ardrock in Yorkshire in the Dales. And it's a big sort of mountain bike festival and we've got practice on Friday and then I'm doing the full race on Saturday. And again, it's just, it's a chance to ride different places, mm. be part of that atmosphere. I love the bubbles that events create. Um, and I love just seeing, pushing myself outside my comfort zone. It's um, it's really healthy, I think. I think we have to do it. And it's something as adults, we, we, get, we do less and less. And I think you stay young and healthy by carrying on doing it. Yeah. And so on your website, you've got this, like, like you mentioned slightly earlier, you've got this brilliant phrase, I think, called pockets of adventure. Yes. It's, I think it's amazing. And you, you talk about how you want to try and help people get pockets mm. of adventure within the boundaries of everyday life. Yes. So just talk to me a bit about where that came from and that idea and that how you're trying to sort of spread that you know, mm. thought. So I, obviously, I have a very restrictive in some ways lifestyle, not as restrictive as some of my friends with children with needs, but we, for example, Cece has epilepsy, therefore we have to pack all her epilepsy medication when we go anywhere. So I, to in order to leave her and go and do something, and Al's job has got very fixed times and so on and he works a lot so actually I basically I was I was seeing all these people going off 
and child-free people and people with older children or people with neurotypical children going off and having these big adventures. And I was like, well, I can't do that. And I just thought, I got, I just got really fed up. And I thought, well, actually, what about if I create within my days those little feelings of adventure? So that even if, okay, I haven't been off and done that, I've actually got the double win because I've managed to feel like I've got lost and had a bit of adventure, um, but I still got home in time for Cece coming back from Lisa or wherever. And it sort of, and that felt to me like actually that was enough because I didn't want to live. So I am lucky and I do plan trips and I've got sort of trips and adventures planned for next year, but I can't psychologically I can't live from one trip to another because I'm very um, mortality is something that's very present when you live in special needs circles um, and yeah I mean, so two of Cece's friends have died within the last year and it's so yeah sorry. it's oh yeah. thank you it's it, it I it really surprised me how much and it sounds stupid I shouldn't be surprised but it 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 really affected us mm. and I just can't I cannot live my life waiting for something in six months time and yes I love looking forward to it but actually I have to live for every single day because you just don't know you, you don't know I mean we're lucky Cece is strong and stable um, and there's no reason to question that but it just well for any of us you could get knocked down by a bus or whatever it's it's yeah and so I wanted yeah so I just came up with this idea of yeah finding pockets of adventure just and often when you talk to people who go on these big adventures often it is about the people they're with or the environment they're in and I and I it hit me it hit, it's always struck me that we take for granted the places we live and actually well, even for you coming here from another part of the country, you're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. This is lovely because it's different to where mm. you are. But if we go into our environments and look at them with the eyes of somebody who's fresh to them, you suddenly see so much more. Mm. Um, and yeah, and it's and I'm lucky I've got a lot of friends who sort of think the same way. So it's sort of the idea of just going somewhere and taking a thermos and having a cup of tea or my friend Tara and I, when we go, we go to sort of locally to ride in Surrey. We take our sandwiches, we take a change of clothes, we always have a big thermos of tea, and it just, and we gossip all the way there. We then ride, scare ourselves, challenge ourselves, have so much laughter. Then we get back to the van, we get changed, we have a cup of tea in the car park, <laughs> we eat our sandwiches, and then we go home. And it's just, I was like, actually, do you know what? That's been as much of an adventure as anything I mean we haven't had so much hardship but if it's raining it can be miserable <laughs> but it's like but I've still managed to keep that within the confines of my everyday life mm. and that gives me uh, that gives me what I need to keep me going until I get to my next big big thing I think that's a brilliant mentality for yeah. of adventure yeah I think it's just I, I we we get given in life our hand and no amount of wishing will change it and you just got to find the positives. You just got to, because otherwise you're just going to be miserable. And there's no point being miserable in life. So if you could summarise what the outdoors and cycling has brought to your life? Oh, it's revitalised it. It's, it's, it's given me, yeah, given me purpose, given me passion, given me escape. It, it, it's given me sanctuary. I feel, 
I feel very rich in my life and it's thanks to the outdoors. So Vicky, who are the three people who inspires your outdoors adventures? Right, um, well I'm going to be slightly cheeky, just like they do on Desert Island Discs. Yeah. <laughs> I love that we're saying yes. this is like Desert Island Discs. <laughs> it is, of course, it's brilliant. I um, wish. The first is um, my parents, who I'm going to take as one unit, because they, yeah, we sailed all the time as children and they weren't I loved the fact they started so when I was born the boat was probably 18 feet long I think and as we as we got older the boats got slightly bigger and so we went slightly further afield but it was always just it wasn't always the top of the range stuff but we just had so much fun and so much freedom the freedom they gave me as a child it's amazing um second person was from that same time and it was a chap called Bill Beavis who was one of the who was sort of a dad in one of the families that we we were friends with and we all sailed together and he built his own boat and he was also a journalist and he wrote about sailing and he taught me sea shanties and he had this wife Elena who's Spanish and I think and sadly Bill died when I was young and I think he probably for that reason just was very crystallized as as an individual and I just he'd run away to sea when he was young and yeah it was so much about what I've wanted to become and do has come from him and my parents um, and then the third one actually is somebody I've never met um, is Arthur Ransom who wrote oh, the, yes. the Swallows, Swallows and Amazons books and I still I grew up reading those books I love them what they they are very similar the, the stories in there are very much like my childhood so just sort of exploring trying to map creeks having adventures and and I still read those books um I still need that escape from reality I'm not very good at reading stressful books <laughs> and, um, I have enough drama in my life and those books I love because they are about creativity, they're about, it's the way he describes nature, I would love to be able to describe environments that way. So, um, and I love the Lake District, and I recently introduced Cece to it with Sisters in the Wild, where we were up at the summer gathering teaching mechanics, and she has fallen in love with the Lake District, and now we're I'm taking her back to the Kendall Mountain Festival, and we're going to go and ride our bikes and go to these inspirational talks, and. I just, I'm just, yeah, so basically, yeah, those three. Vicky, tips for people who want to get into mountain biking, you know, if, they, if they're sort of at the beginner level, yes. what would you say? Oh, I love that, because it's really, <laughs> buy the best bike you can afford, whether it's secondhand or brand new, um, learn to do work on it yourself, because that will save you money. There's always going to be jobs that you can take to a local bike shop because they've got the more expensive tooling, but learn the basics, learn a safety check. So learn things like, for example, if you change your chain regularly, and even though you change it before it's worn out, you're actually going to save money on the more expensive parts of your bike because those cost a lot more to, to replace. So it's things like that. Um, get yourself get yourself good shoes and knee pads especially if you're doing sort of some really sort of more interesting sketchy off-road riding um get coaching invest in coaching before you invest in anything else invest in coaching 
because that will especially as an adult it gives you that confidence you know you're doing it properly and you can then you can take it to something like the Southern Enduro series where it's a really friendly environment and you can go and try out riding in different places in different conditions with an organized route food um, carts <laughs> and medical support it's brilliant <laughs> so yeah those are those are my tips basically brilliant and how about um some sort of good beginner mountain bike routes in the uk that you've discovered oh yes there are lots um i mean i i'm not a huge bike park fan um so i tend to go i tend to love i mean if you're really just starting Use something like Komoot or OS Maps. Go and find bridleways. Go and just explore. Talk to your local bike shop because they'll probably have a group or they'll be able to recommend places. I mean, I love riding in the South Downs. Um, I love Surrey Hills is great. Um, yeah, it's, I think, just ask around. Read the magazines. So like um, MBUK, who I freelance for, they ha often have routes in there and they'll have really good descriptions of them and maps and things and I think MBR do the same um, so yeah look at the mountain biking magazines and they'll give you beginner and so on and just get out and try it because if you end up walking part of it that's fine you've got a benchmark next time you might not walk all of it and it's or, or walk that part and spot where you need to develop your skills if you're if you're finding it hard on muddy wet ground get some coaching in the winter and try or go to somewhere, different places, and get coaching in different places to build your skills. But yeah, just get out and just enjoy it. Vicky, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's an incredibly powerful one, and I know that the listeners will take a lot out of that in terms of you finding pockets of adventure and using the outdoors to really help you through really difficult times in your life. Yeah. So I do really appreciate you sharing that. Thank you so much and thank you very much for asking me and listening and um, thank you to everyone who listens and yeah, I just, the more people we get out there the better. Exactly and we're going to finish off our, our ride. Yes. I'm very excited because it, it took us about what, 20 minutes to get here? Yeah. yeah and I think going back I'm going to take you through another bit of the woods and then I'm going to take you over to the Crab and Winkle which is one of our, our sort of off-road cycle route to Whitstable and it's where Cece and I cycle a lot, it's where resilient riders do and it's the old train line so we'll um, we'll do part of that and come back in back into Canterbury that way oh fantastic well thank you again oh, my pleasure thank you thanks for listening to Vicky's episode you can see photos of Vicky on her mountain bike and our ride on the Outdoors Fix website or on Instagram at the Outdoors Fix. You'll also find Vicky on her Instagram, which is at Vicky Bikes. If you want to make the outdoors a bigger part of your life, did you know that the Outdoors Fix is now also available as a book? It's packed full of my podcast guest stories, tips, and beautiful photographs to show how you can get outdoors more and feel the benefits. The Outdoors Fix book is available to buy through the link in the podcast show notes, as well as the Vertebrate Publishing website, Amazon and other bookshops. Regular listeners of The Outdoors Fix will know that I end each episode with some sounds of nature. So now it's that time to take a short moment to relax and listen to some birdsong from earlier this year that I recorded on the southwest coast path near Dartmouth in Devon. I hope you enjoy it.